Good morning and welcome. What a blessing to gather together on the Lord's Day. Uh, just a few brief announcements. Um, we are blessed to celebrate the Lord's Supper this morning. And uh, our I would direct your attention to the announcement. Um, our guests and visitors who've met with the, uh, with the elders or with myself um, and have uh, spoken with them, We're, we welcome you to partake with us. If you've not, we'd encourage you to uh, visit with us afterward. We can talk about that. Um, Vacation Bible School starts tomorrow. Please keep that in your prayers. Um, what a, a wonderful opportunity for our children to learn more, but, but especially for children from our community, many of whom don't have uh, regular practice of going to church, uh, to learn more about the Lord and who He is and what He does. Um, wonderful opportunity. So please keep that in prayer. Um, this morning... After the worship service, you'll see a sign-up sheet for snacks. If you're able to help with that, please consider doing so. Um, our volunteers need to meet briefly after the worship service this morning. So if you could do that, um, that would be great. Uh, we're going to meet in here just for, I think it's just for a couple minutes, just to make sure everybody knows what needs to happen. But then this evening, um, normally we would have our an opportunity for fellowship with uh, a bonfire at the Mingerings. That's not happening this evening, but we would encourage folks instead to help set up for VBS here um, after the evening service. With that, beloved, let us join our hearts together in prayer and ask that the Lord would bless our time together and honor himself through us. Father, you have gathered us in this place, and it is unto your glory that we seek to serve. Bless all that is done here, that you might indeed be honored, and that as we go forth from this place, we might go with joy, knowing that we have heard from and met with our Lord and Savior. And Father, we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together. The Lord calls us this morning to worship with these words from Psalm 66. Shout for joy to God all the earth. Sing the glory of His name. Give to Him glorious praise. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. Come and hear. So great is your power that your enemies come cringing to you. All the earth worships you and sings praises to you. 
they sing praises to your name. Congregation of our Lord Jesus, from where does your help come? Our help comes from the Lord, the Maker of heaven and earth. Hear now His greeting. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us sing together from number 118. We'll sing the first four stanzas. Number 118. Most wonderful indeed is the Lord, our Heavenly Father. Years ago, when God's people, Israel, were in the midst of being exiled because of their sin. Kids, you understand what happened there, right? God had delivered them out of slavery, had brought them into the promised land. That was a, a visible demonstration of salvation, right? was showing how the Lord is able to deliver us from the slavery of our sin and bring us into the glory of His presence. But they refused to receive it with faith. They lived as those people live who don't know the Lord, seeking to satisfy the desires of the flesh, seeking to satisfy the, the sinful nature within them. And so, because of their unbelief, God was casting them off. But even then, even as His people were receiving the punishment for their sins, God promised to show mercy. He said in Jeremiah 31, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, 
when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. Now what, what was he going to change? What was he going to make different? The Holy Spirit. God would draw his people not by custom, not by signs and sacrifices that displayed the truth alone, but by the power of the Holy Spirit who is able to take a heart as hard as stone and make it soft and pliable. And by the power of the word that he not only caused to be proclaimed to his people, but implants within them. He draws us by his strength, not by ours, and not by a cooperative effort. That's what he promised, and that's what he today is doing through the work of the Holy Spirit and the accomplished salvation of Christ. Knowing that, and knowing our own unworthiness, we're no greater than Israel who was exiled. We're no different from them. But God is merciful. And so acknowledging that, let us confess that our hope and our salvation rest not in us, but entirely and only in Christ. And we'll do that by singing together number 385, Tis not that I did choose thee.
And because the Lord loves us, because the Lord has called us to Himself in Christ and has accomplished everything necessary for our salvation through Him, therefore we strive to live a life of gratitude, a life that demonstrates our faith in Him. And it's to that end that He gave us His law. Not only does that law show us, here's the ways that you've fallen short, but it also shows us here is how you can show gratitude to God. And so to us, as to Israel of old, God says, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is on the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and who keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you, nor your son, or your daughter, nor your male servant, or your female servant, nor your ox, or your donkey, or any of your livestock, nor the sojourner who is within your gates, that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God commanded you, that your days may be long and that it may go well with you in the land that the Lord your God is giving. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And you shall not covet your neighbor's wife. You shall not desire your neighbor's house, his field, his male servant or his female servant, his ox or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. Amen. As we strive to keep those commandments, let us never forget, we're not seeking to earn anything before God, but simply to show our gratitude to Him by loving the Lord our God with all our heart and soul, mind and strength, by loving our neighbor as ourselves, And even this, even this response of gratitude, we can do only by His strength within us. So let's ask for that strength as we pray together. Um, In addition, uh, a few prayer updates. Um, We received a a prayer concern on Friday concerning Case Vierson's brother Bill, who had a stroke last week um, and who expects to have intensive rehab ahead, please keep uh, Bill Vierson in your prayers. Um, Linda Smith, her surgery uh, was scheduled for June 21. That has been postponed again because of the sores that she's been experiencing. So please pray for Linda for both healing and patience. Um, And meanwhile, Bruce um, has begun chemotherapy. So pray that the Lord would provide continued healing uh, for that and relief from any side effects that might come with that. 
And then finally, we see in our bulletin um, announcements, we have some young people who are on task. That's teens actively serving Christ in Sanborn, Iowa this week. So please pray for, for them and for their leaders um, as they're getting a, a wonderful lesson about what it means to serve others in the name of Christ. Let's pray. Father, you are merciful beyond anything we could imagine. You are the one who calls us. You are the one who prepares our hearts to hear that call. You are the one who accomplishes every single aspect of the salvation that we crave. Father, we thank you that you are so merciful to us, meeting us in our weakness and providing perfectly with your strength. Lord, as we gather today for worship, to hear your word proclaimed, to receive the blessing of the sacrament, we're reminded of how completely reliant upon you we are. And we ask that you would continue to meet our needs and strengthen us and provide for us so that we might run the race to its conclusion. That on the day of our death, we might enter joyfully into your presence. And that every day before then, we might live in a way that shows that we are yours. Make it our delight to serve you, to know you, to cultivate a relationship with you, to tell others about you. To that end, Lord, we pray your blessing upon each individual here, that you would work within our hearts, that you would cause us to delight in, in the relationship we have together. Help us to build one another up, giving encouragement to those who are brought low, accountability to those who stray into sin, Comfort to those who grieve. Lord, we pray for healing for those who are sick. We ask your blessing on Linda and on Bruce, that you would provide for them as only you are able, and that you would give them the encouragement that they need at this time. Remembering that you are the great physician, and that you're using even their physical ailments to strengthen their souls in you. Lord, we pray for others who are going through cancer treatments, for Dan and for Jamie and, and others who have long-term ailments and pains and aches. Lord, we pray that you would provide for each one. We ask your blessing on Bill, that you would provide for him in his uh, recovery from a stroke. We ask that you would comfort and strengthen him, Lord. We pray for uh, our members who are absent from us, those who are distant, uh, we pray that you would provide the, the strength and the encouragement that they need and that you would surround them with the encouragement of believers. We pray for our members who are pregnant, that you would uh, bless those children within. Pray for the Weeringas as they're going through the adoption process. We ask that you would show the might of your power in that. Also for our members who are, are fostering, we pray your, uh, your mercy on them and your comfort and strength. 
We pray for those preparing for marriage. We think especially of uh, Michaela and Dale. We ask that you would uh, equip and, and encourage them as the day grows closer. And Lord, you know the many other needs that we have. We ask that you would, would meet those needs and provide for each one. Be with our young people who are on task this week. We pray that you would, would bless Emily and Sarah, Scarlett and Savannah and Lincoln, that you would help them to grow in their faith and in their desire to serve you throughout this week. Be with uh, Dakota and Stephanie as they and others lead these young people. And Lord, make, make this week to be a, an opportunity for them to grow and for the gospel to go forth in great, with great power. Lord, we pray to that end that you would bless our vacation Bible school. Bless each of the children who is involved that they might truly hear the gospel and recognize the glory and the goodness of our God. We pray for those who, uh, who teach and who lead and who volunteer in that effort. Make their work to be profitable. Give them open eyes, discerning hearts, wise speech, that they might truly impact these children with the truth of your word and the glory of who you are. Be with our council as it meets on Monday. Grant that our elders and deacons and minister might have wisdom in dealing with the matters of the church. And Lord, we pray that you would bless your church here at Grace and in every place where it gathers. The field is white for the harvest. There are so many who do not know you, so many who live in the depths of dark misery because of their sin. Our world is demonstrating the emptiness of walking apart from you. How fruitless, how hopeless that is. And you have given to us, your people, a glorious antidote. Father, we pray that you would enable us to proclaim the truth of the gospel with clarity and boldness. We ask that you would give us opportunities to share the truth with our neighbors, our friends, our co-workers. And that you would give us courage, boldness to proclaim the truth that has delivered us and that can deliver our neighbor as well. And now, Lord, as we look to your word, we pray that you would use it to mold and shape and strengthen each one of us. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we prepare to look together to God's word, we're going to sing together from Psalm 139. And this is a psalm that reminds us that our God knows us perfectly. He knew us with the utmost perfection even before we were born. How glorious that is. That means there's nothing we're going through that is unknown to Him. There's no need that we have that escapes His attention. And so we can rest confident, no matter what we face, no matter what we're going through, that that He is able to work through it and that He knows exactly what we need. We'll sing number 290, stanzas 1 and 2, 4 and 5.
invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Peter. 1 Peter, very near to the end of the Bible. We're starting a new series today from 1 Peter. For the next few weeks, we'll be considering it in the evening as we finish up our study of the Belgic Confession in the morning services, but uh, this first text seemed a, uh, a beautiful fit for a day when we were celebrating the Lord's Supper, so we're considering it this morning. Uh, going to read with you just the first two verses as our introduction to this book. Peter writes, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for sprinkling with His blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Amen. Congregation of God through Jesus Christ. As I said today, 
we're beginning a study in the New Testament book of 1 Peter. A book that is priceless for the encouragement and the instruction it offers. This book is written to a people who live in a messy world. Offering wisdom about how to handle the messes we encounter. Providing encouragement to help us endure in the midst of this world's brokenness. It spells out how powerfully Jesus' work on our behalf changes things for us so that we can have confidence before God, so that we can live in a way that displays that confidence. This letter helps us to see the implications of living in the end times, and it provides practical instruction for what our life in this age should look like. So I'm eager to begin considering together this book with you all of the instruction that it provides, but today we're looking at two verses. Now that's unusual. Most of you know that I prefer texts that are a bit bigger, that have a bit more in them. So why two verses? You see, at the start of this letter, Peter, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he's setting the tone by reminding the people to whom he writes Believers in ancient Asia Minor, certainly, but also us today in North America. He's setting the tone for the very important instruction that he's going to bring by reminding us who we are and what that means for how we live, for how we perceive ourselves, for how we interact with people. These two verses, it's only two verses, but it says so much because it identifies us in the context of all of history, in the context of all the world. And so what we see here is that God's ambassador, Peter, is addressing the church according to its true identity. That's what we consider this morning. How God's ambassador addresses the church according to its true identity. And that identity, first of all, addresses us as those set apart by the triune God. Just a, a word before we look at that about the background of this letter. It's written by Peter. We know that that was not his name from birth. His parents called him Simon. But as Simon was working one day with his brother Andrew, fishing in the Sea of Galilee, he encountered Jesus. Jesus called him to follow, and he did, along with Andrew. And Jesus renamed Simon, who was brash, who was bold, who was willing to say what the other apostles often just thought. He renamed him Peter, which means rock. Because it was on the rock of the testimony that Peter and the others confessed that Jesus would build his church. Peter identifies himself as an apostle comes from the Greek word apostolos, which means those who are sent. These were the closest disciples, the most devoted disciples of Jesus who followed everywhere He went, heard everything He proclaimed, saw all the miracles He worked, and through the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus was equipping them to be sent out to lay the foundations of the church, sent out to proclaim the message that Jesus had proclaimed to them. They were the ones who wrote the books of the New Testament by and large, laying the foundation for us and for our faith. 
Now, Peter the Apostle is writing from Rome. We learn that from chapter 5, where he gives greetings from the church in Babylon. That was code in that early age for Rome, the seat of anti-Christian power. Peter's writing this letter knowing that his time may be short, that he may be taken from this world at any moment. And so, writing to the churches that are likewise living in the midst of persecution, in the midst of hardship, in the midst of the attacks of the evil one, he writes the important instruction that God's people need as we live in the midst of opposition. And he identifies those whom, to whom he writes as elect exiles. Two words that really summarize all by themselves the identity and the situation of the people of God in this world, in this age. Elect exiles. Really, that's the heart of these two verses. And so I want to spend just a few minutes together considering what it means that God's people in this age are elect exiles. We look first at that first word, that we are elect. What does that mean? It comes from a word that means to be chosen, to be chosen out of, to be set apart. Now, some folks have complained about what Peter does here. That's a kind of a bold thing to complain about what's written in the Bible, but some scholars have done so, complaining that theologically this seems reckless because the elect are those chosen by God from before time began. Looking at the people around us, we cannot know for certain whether those who claim to be Christians are truly elect, truly chosen of God, or whether they are hypocrites in the midst simply saying what they know they ought to say, acting the way they know they ought to act, although they don't really believe it. The only ones, they say, whose election we can know with certainty is that of ourselves. Because we can see the work of the Holy Spirit within us. We can know what we truly believe, where we, we truly set our hope. And so it seems reckless, say some theologians, to address the whole of the church as the elect. But you know, Calvin answered that. That was a concern even 500 years ago. Calvin answered that by admonishing those who make that complaint that rather than complaining against Peter, we ought to follow his example. Rather than promoting uncertainty, rather than urging everyone to doubt whether they truly are the people of God, we ought to judge with charity those before us, those who are members of the church. Well, that indicates the work of the Holy Spirit generally. Generally speaking, those who join the church, those who profess Christ before His people and before the world, they're demonstrating the work of the Holy Spirit and therefore we ought to recognize them. Unless they show evidence otherwise as the elect, as those chosen of God, as those set apart unto God through Christ. But what does that mean? To be elect. Well, Peter explains that in verse 2. He uses three prepositional phrases to explain what it means to be elect. And each of those prepositional phrases shows that we are set apart. By 
one of the persons of the triune God. The elect are those chosen, first of all, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. God the Father has embraced the elect in His foreknowledge. Does that mean that God simply knew in advance that these were the people who would respond favorably? No. In Scripture, when we read that God knows someone, we're reading of His care for them, His love for them, His compassion toward them. When Israel was in Egypt, suffering under the enslavement of wicked and ungodly people, Exodus 2 says that God saw their affliction and God knew. Psalm 1 verse 6 says God knows the way of the righteous. But on the other hand, Jesus said in Matthew 7, He says to the wicked, I never knew you. So knowing is a way of saying that God cares about His people. He knows in a way that regards them with compassion. He knows them in a way that that makes them recipients of His grace. Of the elect, Peter says God knew them in advance. He set His favor on these folks before they set their favor on Him. He regarded them with compassion when they were still His enemies. Now the fact that the people of God were chosen of God before eternity, that's a great comfort. Because it means that our salvation, our relationship with God, it doesn't depend on us and how wonderful that is. God determined to save us when we still hated Him. God determined to deliver us when we were still living in our rebellion. God determined to bring us to Himself and to mold us into the image of His Son when we were still intent on running away from Him. How wonderful that is. Because that means that none of our salvation rests on us. If it did, we would be so hopeless. But because it rests on God, we have no cause to fear. Even though we might stumble, even though we might fail, He never does. So the elect are those chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit. Sanctification refers to becoming holy. Typically when we talk about sanctification, we refer to the process that God works in His people in drawing them out of their sin and into holiness. But here, here it talks about the very beginning of the process. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. When the gospel is proclaimed, it is the work of the Holy Spirit to soften the hearts of the elect, to open their ears so that they can hear, to, to work in their minds so that they understand, and to give them faith. So that hearing the truth of what Jesus has done, hearing the truth of our need because of the misery of our sin, by the sanctification of the Spirit, we're, we're empowered and enabled to hold on to Christ to believe Him and thereby to be joined to Him so that His death on the cross is our death to sin. So that His suffering pays the penalty for our debt. So that His resurrection life empowers us to live anew. Folks, again, this is a great comfort because it means that we did not begin the work of our salvation. Christ isn't somehow powerless to save us until we make the decision to follow Him. No. He's the one that first enabled us to turn to Christ. 
He's the one that began that work within us. And when He begins a work in someone, He doesn't stop until that work is brought to completion. And so that leads to that third prepositional phrase for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with His blood. The, the word for there renders the Greek preposition ace. It's a, a word that shows the purpose or the result of something. God chose His people unto this end, for this purpose. And then He gives us two objects. He elected His people for their obedience. He determined to raise up a people who would be His children. A people who would be brothers and sisters to Jesus their Savior. But we began as rebels. We began as those who hated God. We began as those who worked in all that we did to reject God. But He determined from the start that it would not continue so. But that instead He would work within us to bring us to obey Christ. He would work within us teaching us to love Jesus and to show that love by obeying His commands, by following Him as our King, by doing the things that delight Him. And when we do that, we begin putting off that rebellion, putting off that sin, putting off that hatred, and taking up instead a love for God that overwhelms us. He elected us to this end that we might reflect the glorious and loving image of Christ, and not only for that, but for sprinkling with Christ's blood. This refers to our atonement from sin and our inclusion in the covenant. When Israel was brought out of Egypt, God spoke His covenant to them. Expressing His intention to make them a, a priestly people and calling them to demonstrate their holiness unto Him by doing what? By obeying. And they responded by saying, yes, we will. Yes, we believe. And so Moses took some of the blood of the sacrifice and he sprinkled it on them. And he said, this is in Exodus 24, he said, Behold the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. And by that they were given assurance that God would provide the sacrifice of atonement that would cover over their sin. God would provide the sacrifice that would make them holy in His sight. And He elected us to the same end. When we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we see the bread broken and the wine poured out. We're seeing His determination to sprinkle us with the blood of Christ. That wine represents the blood of Jesus that was poured out to cover over our sin. That bread represents the suffering that Jesus endured that broke Him so that we might be made whole. He elected us for this end that we might be completely saved, completely atoned from our sin. And that's our identity. Folks, understand, this is who we are. We are those known by God the Father who would become His beloved ones. We are those sanctified and made holy through the work of the Holy Spirit. We are those who are called to a life of obedience to Christ and who've been sprinkled by His blood. That's who we are. To be part of the church is not to be part of a social club or a political action committee or, or, or just part of a people that we like. No, to be 
of the church is to be of God's elect, chosen by His grace, held firmly through the work of the Spirit. There is nothing more central to our self-identity than this. We are the elect set apart by the triune God. Remember that when you feel alone or misunderstood. Remember that when your identity starts to get confused. You wonder where you belong. You are the elect of Christ, chosen by God the Father for sanctification through the Holy Spirit, or according to sanctification by the Spirit, for obedience to Christ and sprinkling with His blood. That is who you are. That is the identity of every Christian. And we need to remember that because we are not only elect, but we are exiles, pilgrims as some translations put it. And that's a good rendering, pilgrims. Because a pilgrim means someone who is on the way to their home. but They're not there yet. And that's the second thing we see here. Is that God's people are set apart and scattered in an unbelieving world. We're not only set apart unto God, but we're scattered in an unbelieving world. Now, Verse 1 tells us that these exiles are of the dispersion. What's that mean? Dispersion, that renders the Greek word diaspora. That's, that refers to those who are scattered abroad. They're scattered about. Ever since the great exile of 587 B.C., diaspora or dispersion was the common label for Jews who lived outside of the promised land. That's why some say that Peter's writing here to Jewish Christians because he uses this term, the dispersion. But that's actually kind of doubtful because later in this chapter, in verse 18, he speaks of the futile ways inherited from your forefathers. Surely Peter wouldn't refer to the ceremonial law of the Jews as a futile way when all of that ceremony was meant to point to Christ. Later in chapter 4, he talks about the, the worldliness and the, the sin and the evil in which, or which they had formerly embraced. And, and that's not consistent with the life of Jews in that age. It seems more likely that Peter's not intending to convey anything about their ethnicity or about their religious background in calling them exiles of the dispersion. Rather... Speaking to a church comprised of Jew and Gentile alike, he's reminding them that they are still scattered far from their home. Because we live in a fallen world. We live in a world filled with rebellion. We live in a world that is devoted to, to hating God. And that is not yet our home. Our home is the new creation. Our home is a world that is transformed and made into what it ought to be. Cleansed from every stain of sin. And that's not yet where we live. When we, are, when we turn to Christ by faith, when we're sprinkled by, by His blood, when we begin to learn obedience, when we're indwelt by the Holy Spirit, this world that once seemed like home, seems like home no more. We come to recognize that we are living in a place that loves the sin that we hate. We long 
We long to be delivered from the midst of a people whose worldview and whose values are radically opposed to ours. Increasingly, the people of God long to be home, long to be surrounded by people who share a love for the God whom we love. A people who delight not in sin but in holiness. A people who long not to blaspheme God but to worship and praise Him. But for now, we're surrounded by a people whose ways and whose desires are diametrically opposed to our own. We're exiles. We're pilgrims wandering in a place that is not yet our home. Despite the fact that we're diverse. It's interesting that the places in which these elect exiles live, Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, these are all regions within Asia Minor, what is today Turkey. But they're very diverse regions, geographically. There's everything from fertile plains to rocky mountains in this area. Ethnically, there were a whole variety of different ethnicities and backgrounds living in these places. There were cities, there were villages, there were country spaces. He's, he's writing to a group that, from an earthly perspective, they had little to do with one another, little in common. But because they are in Christ, they are one. They are united. They are together elect exiles, living in the midst of the dispersion, living in the midst of a world that is is broken and rebellious against God. But what unites them is far greater than what separates them because what unites them is Christ. What unites them is the Spirit who dwells in them. What unites them is their growing love for God the Father who chose them from before all time. And folks, it is the same for us. We're Americans. We love the freedom, the blessings, the history of this land. Most of us would be willing to die for this land and we stand for its flag. But America is not what identifies us. Because we're Christians. Our true citizenship is not on earth, but in heaven. Our true leader is certainly not Joe Biden, but Christ. Now that doesn't mean that we reject or disparage America. Not at all. We celebrate the blessing God has given us in the the freedoms of this land. We rejoice in the peace and the prosperity He's entrusted to us. But we recognize that that has been given to us that we might serve our true King. That we might advance our true people who are not Americans but Christians who are the people of Christ. Our true unity, that means, is not found with Americans or with country people. Our true unity is found with those of the Lord, whether they're city or country, whether they're white-collar or blue-collar, whether they're American or Mexican or Canadian or Iranian. Our true unity, let us never forget, is with those who join us in serving God through Christ. So, when you feel out of place in this land, well, don't be surprised. When you feel like you just don't understand the culture in which we live, Well, yeah. You're not in your place yet. You live in the midst of a people who hate what you love and who love what you hate. So when they slander you, take that in stride. Expect it. 
And when they mistreat you, well, understand, they're really seeking to mistreat Christ who dwells in you. Remember, you are pilgrims exiled in this place, but one day soon, one day soon, Christ will take you to be where He is. Or He will come back and He will renew this land, this whole world, and remove every stain of sin. And then you will be home. And then you will be in the place where you are surrounded only and always by your people because they're Christ's people. Until then, we keep our eyes on Him, knowing that soon He will take you and all believers to be with Him in your true home, your eternal home, your home with God Himself. And know this, you will not endure unto that day alone. That's the last thing Peter shows us here. The strength, the help, the blessing we need, it's not something we generate. It's something He bestows. We are strengthened by divine mercy. Look at the last thing he says here. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Grace. The favor of God freely given. We can't earn it. We can't obtain it by our strength, but it is essential and only God can give it. And peace. He's not talking simply about the absence of conflict. He's talking about peace in its most comprehensive sense. Relational peace with our neighbors. Spiritual peace within ourselves and with God. Eternal peace between us and our Creator. Peace absolute that passes all human understanding. That is a gift, again, that we cannot earn or obtain on our own, but God gives it to everyone who is in Christ. And that's the common blessing, or the common thread to this blessing. It is a gift from God in Christ. But if we belong to God through Christ by faith, we can be absolutely sure this is what He intends to give us. Already, we have the first fruits of grace and peace in that we know ourselves to be forgiven from sin. And in that, we know that we have no need to fear judgment. We have no need to fear death. We have no need to fear conflict because we have peace with God who brings all things to peace. Now, we don't see that in all its fullness yet. We still have divisions and dissensions. We still find ourselves at an end of our strength, falling into sin, falling into discontent. We don't have the fullness yet of the grace and peace that we need. But day by day, He is multiplying it to us. He promised to do that. Jesus Himself said when He ascended to heaven, after He had poured out His blood and allowed His body to be broken, He rose up whole and then He ascended to heaven saying, all authority in heaven and on earth have been given to Me. And then He said, unto the end I am with you. He today is turning all things for our good. He today is bestowing the grace that we need, ensuring that we have the peace that we crave. And as the days go on, that grace and that peace are multiplied to us according to each day's need, according to our calling. But we have to trust in Him. That's why He gave us the sacrament. So that we would trust Him. 
Every day you wake up and you're tempted anew by your sins. Every day you wake up and you're tempted to give in to that unsettledness of this world. We need the grace and the peace that only He can give. By the same token, every day we wake up hungry. We need food to strengthen us. We wake up thirsty. We need that which will quench our thirst. And even as the bread and the wine fulfill our hunger and quench our thirst, so Christ daily provides the grace and the peace that we crave. But we again must trust in Him. So let it be our prayer that as the people whom the Lord has chosen for Himself, having set us apart from eternity, even though we're scattered in the midst of an unbelieving world, as the people chosen by God, let us trust in Him to strengthen us daily, moment by moment, according to our every need. And He will do exactly what we need. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank You that You have given us this glorious identity as those who are Yours. Because we are scattered. We are pilgrims in this world. And we long for that day when we can be in the fullness of Your presence. Until that day dawns, Lord, grant us the grace and the peace that we crave. Enable us to stand firm, knowing that You will provide precisely what we need and use us to bring glory to You. Father, we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Let us ask for and confess our expectation of receiving that which we need through the work of the Lord's power in His Holy Spirit. We do that by standing to sing number 390, Eternal Spirit, God of Truth. We'll sing all four stanzas. Thank you. 
As we prepare to partake of the Lord's Supper together, I'd like to read with you from the, the form, form number two for the celebration of the Supper. If you have your forms and prayers book, it's on page 45. Beloved, hear now the words of the Apostle Paul concerning the institution of the Holy Supper. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. When our Lord said, Do this in remembrance of me, he ordained this Holy Supper as a constant memorial and a visible proclamation of His death. The Apostle Paul also teaches us that as often as we eat this bread and drink the cup, we proclaim the Lord's death. As we partake, therefore, we bear witness that our Lord Jesus was sent by the Father into the world to take upon Himself our flesh and blood and to bear the wrath of God on the cross for us. We confess that He came to earth to bring us to heaven, that He was condemned to die that we might be pardoned, that he endured the suffering and death of the cross, that we might live through him, and that he was once forsaken by God, that we might forever be accepted by him. The sacrament thus confirms us in God's abiding love and covenant faithfulness, sealing to our hearts the promises of his gracious covenant, and assuring us that we belong to his covenant family. Let us then be persuaded as we eat and drink that God will always love us and accept us as his children, for the sake of His Son. Our Lord also promises that as we eat this bread and drink the cup, we are fed with His crucified body and shed blood. To do this, He gives us His life-giving Spirit, through whom the body and blood of our Lord become the life-giving nourishment of our souls. Thus, He unites us with Himself, and so imparts the precious benefits of His sacrifice to all who partake in faith. As a means of grace, this meal also unites us with one another in the bond of the Spirit. As the Apostle says, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Thus, even as he unites us with himself, he strengthens the bond of communion between us, his children. And finally, the remembrance of our Lord's death revives in us the hope of his return. Since he commanded us to do this until he comes, the Lord assures us that he will come again to take us to himself. As we commune with him now under the veil of these earthly elements, we are assured that we shall behold him face to face, and rejoice in the glory of His appearing. Our Lord Jesus will surely do what He has promised. Let us draw near to His table then, believing that He will strengthen us in faith, unite us in love, and establish us more firmly in the hope of His coming. To Him who loved us and has freed us from our sins by His blood and made us a kingdom, priests to His God and Father, to Him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Beloved, let us together pray, and we will conclude our prayer by praying together the, the Lord's Prayer. Let's pray. 
Almighty God, with one accord, we give you thanks for all the blessings of your grace. But most of all, we thank you for the unspeakable gift of your Son, Jesus Christ. We most humbly thank you that your Son came to us in human form, that he lived a perfect life on earth, that he died for us on the cross, and that he arose victoriously from the dead. We bless you for the gift of your Holy Spirit, for the gospel of reconciliation, for the church universal, for the ministry and the sacraments of the church, and for the blessed hope of everlasting life. We pray, gracious Father, that you would grant us your Holy Spirit, that through this sacrament our souls may truly be fed with the crucified body and shed blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Grant us the full assurance of your grace as we draw near to your holy table, filling our hearts with humble gratitude for your mercies. Unite us more fully with one another and uh, more fully with our blessed Lord and so also with one another. And enable us in newness of life to pledge ourselves in service to Christ and all your children. And lift our hearts to you that in all the troubles and sorrows of this life, we may persevere in the living hope of the coming of our Savior in glory. Answer us, O God, through Jesus Christ our Lord, who taught us to pray together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. As we draw near to the table of our Lord, let us, using the words of the Apostles' Creed, Confess our Christian faith. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead, he ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe a holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Beloved, hear these gracious words of promise spoken by our Lord. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Whoever comes to me I will never cast out. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Beloved in the Lord Jesus, let us lift up our hearts to the Lord. Let us lift them up to the God of our salvation. The Lord Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. This do in remembrance of me. 
Take, eat, remember and believe that the body of our Lord Jesus Christ was given for a complete forgiveness of all our sins. And he took a cup and gave thanks and gave to them, saying, drink of it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins.
take, drink, remember and believe that the precious blood of our Lord Jesus Christ was shed for the complete forgiveness of all our sins. If you have your form and prayers book open, I encourage you to join in the response that we find there on page 48. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, who forgives all your iniquity, who redeems your life from the pit, who satisfies you with good, Let us pray. Almighty God, we give you our most humble and hearty thanks. That of your great mercy, you have given us your Son to be our Savior from sin. And to be our constant source of faith, hope, and love. We bless you for permitting us to show forth his death. And to receive the communion of his body and blood through this holy sacrament. We praise you for uniting us more fully with the body of Christ and for assuring us that we are heirs of your heavenly kingdom. Grant that our commemoration of his death may tend to the daily confirming of our faith, the establishment of our hope, and the strengthening of our love. Enable us henceforth to live always for our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us. Amen. We now have the opportunity to worship the Lord through our tithes and our offerings. I'll invite the deacons to come forward. Let's pray. Father, you, gave, you give us all the things that we need in this life. We pray that You would receive now our tithes and offerings as a sign of our gratitude. And Lord, we pray that You would use these offerings that we bring in a manner that magnifies Your holy name. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our offering song this morning is number 412. I love to tell the story.
This morning is number 325, stanzas 1 and 2. Thank you. 
the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.